A reading from God's word. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach him. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They're some of the most beautiful and profound words ever uttered. They've been spoken at weddings, recited at funerals, and inspired thousands of songs. They've comforted the hurting. They've convicted the prideful. They've been examined by countless theologians throughout history, and they've been etched into our collective imagination for generations. They're the Beatitudes which comes from the Latin word for blessed, which is beatus. And that's what the Beatitudes are. They're a list of the people who are blessed according to Jesus. Now, when Jesus said this, he was following a rabbinic tradition that went back centuries before he came. It actually originates in the Old Testament scriptures. Let me show you one example in the Psalms. And we see this throughout the Psalms. Psalm 119, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. And we, we see blessings like this show up in the Hebrew Bible 45 different times. And what's interesting is Jewish rabbis, long after the Psalms were written, they continued this pattern, this practice of pronouncing blessings. And I, I want to share one example with you. It's from another rabbi named Jesus. Jesus ben Sirah. This was 150 years before Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus ben Sirah, Jesus son of Sirah, this is what he says. Blessed is the man who can rejoice in his children. Blessed is the man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. Blessed is the one who does not sin with the tongue. Blessed is the one who doesn't serve an inferior. Blessed is the one who finds a friend. Blessed is the one who speaks to attentive listeners. Greatest is the one who finds wisdom, and none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. Now, what is a teacher, a rabbi doing when they're pronouncing blessings like this? The word for bless or blessed or blessed, depending on how you pronounce it, that's the Greek word makarios, and it's difficult to translate. It really means happy, but it's deeper than that. The core idea of makarios in Greek is 
Someone who is fortunate, who is well off, they are in a good place. And so when a teacher, Jesus ben Sirah or Jesus of Nazareth or the Psalms, whenever they say blessed are these types of people, what they're doing is they're holding up a specific type of person who is living in a way that is admirable and they are saying this kind of person is blessed or fortunate in God's eyes. In other words, they are in the ideal situation. Now, some of the ones that we just read from Jesus ben Sirah, they sound similar to the Psalms. They sound like things we would read in the Bible. Blessed is the one who finds a friend. But some of what he said, what I just read to you, sounds very different from the Scripture, especially the New Testament. Let me just point out, too, Jesus ben Sirah, he says, blessed is the one who doesn't serve an inferior. Well, that's interesting. I mean, doesn't Jesus say the opposite of this? That greatest among you is the one who serves? Another one, Jesus ben Sirah, he says, blessed is the man who lived to see the downfall of his foes. Now, Jesus, he says, love your enemies, doesn't he? But when Jesus ben Sirah said this, in his culture, it did not sound wrong. He was probably met with a bunch of amens because in the Roman culture and pretty much every culture throughout history, nobody considers it fortunate to serve an inferior. Nobody considers it the ideal situation to be beaten by your opponents to lose. I want you to just imagine if American culture today produced a list of beatitudes, what would be on it? I mean, using my imagination, I came up with nine. Like Jesus, he has nine. I have nine. And in these, you know, it's kind of a playful way of me getting at what I think American culture venerates and says, yes, this is the kind of person that is in the ideal situation. So here you go. Blessed are the attractive for they will have lots of likes on social media and opportunities for romantic relationships. <laughs> Blessed are the wealthy, for they will be able to retire at a relatively young age without financial insecurity and can afford to take awesome vacations. Blessed is the company who has a competitive advantage and therefore puts its competitors out of business. Blessed are the powerful, for no one in the boardroom will be able to stand up to their confidence and their competence and they can put others in their place. Blessed are the parents whose children are financially self-sufficient for their bills will be lighter and their headaches will be less frequent. Blessed are the healthy, wealthy, and wise. Blessed are the successful and the smart. Blessed are ones who make something of themselves and above all, blessed are those who win. And into a culture not all that different from American culture, Jesus says, blessed, fortunate are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the mourners and the meek, the unimportant. Blessed are the ones longing for justice. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the persecuted. They're the fortunate ones. What Jesus says is surprising. 
It is subversive. I, I think if we're hearing what Jesus is saying, we will be deeply challenged this morning. I mean, we, we will be encouraged, but it will also be like a punch in the gut. Because I'm telling you, when he said this, nobody was talking like this. And it's hard for us to hear what Jesus is saying, I think. It's hard for me because I'm so familiar with these words, and maybe you are too. But I want to try to help us hear it with fresh ears. And if we're going to understand these nine blessings first, we need to understand the context. This is so important. I think many people misunderstand these nine statements of blessing or don't understand them fully because they don't understand the context. So I want to spend a couple minutes here because this is really crucial. In Matthew 4, Jesus is baptized, and then he begins his public ministry. And Matthew writes about it in verse 17 of Matthew 4. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, what is the kingdom of heaven? It's not heaven. It includes heaven, per se, but it's much more. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is the reign and rule of God. Now, when the disciples heard this, in Matthew 4, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom, as students schooled in the Old Testament, what they would have thought about was the reign of God, not in heaven, but on the earth, that through the messianic king, the kingdom would come. And the Old Testament prophets say, write about this. This kingdom that would come will be characterized by peace and justice. This is the hope of the Hebrew Bible. And when Jesus shows up, he announces it's here. The kingdom is at hand. It has come. Why? Why has the kingdom come? Because the king is here. And wherever the king is, there the kingdom is also. You see, King Jesus, when he shows up, he inaugurates the rule, the reign of God on earth. Now, the great surprise to everybody during that day who knew their Bible, the, the great surprise was that the kingdom came in a totally unexpected way. Not through a military leader, but through a carpenter from Nazareth. Not with tanks and guns and bombs, but through healing and forgiveness. And not to the, to the rich and to the powerful elite, but to the poor and the powerless. And Matthew writes about it in Matthew 4, telling us where Jesus prioritized this message. He went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So, so what happens as a result? Well, Matthew, he says, So his fame, Jesus' fame, spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him, pay attention to this, all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him. And then, and then we get to chapter 5. And remember, there's no breaks in the original text between chapters. The very next verse, it says, Seeing the crowds, what crowds? The, the people we just heard about. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth 
and he taught them. Now, that, that word for disciples is the Greek word mathetes, and it simply means pupils, learners. Jesus had not assembled the 12 disciples yet. So this is everybody from that whole mass of raw humanity, the, the crowds we just heard about. It's everybody who wanted to learn from Jesus. And again, who are the people in the crowds? These are people struggling with illness. These are people who, whose bodies don't work. They have chronic pain. Their limbs are not working properly. These are people who have been possessed by demons. They would have been regarded as crazy people. These are people who are poor, by and large. Day laborers. There is no welfare in Rome. Most of these people are living day Today they were familiar with hungry. These are with hunger. These are people who are uneducated. These are people out of this crowd who are regarded by the culture as unimportant, even pitiable. To use a Paul Simon lyric, the people at the foot of the feet of Jesus as he's teaching are the sat on, the spat upon, and the ratted on. That's who he's talking to. And as they crowd around him, Jesus, he says these statements. Are you seeing the picture? So there's two interpretive keys we've got to have if we're going to understand what Jesus is saying. Think of these as keys that you, you turn and they unlock the meaning of this. First, the blessings that Jesus pronounces, they come in the context of the arrival of the kingdom of God. These people are not blessed in a vacuum. They're blessed because the king is here and the kingdom is coming. And the second interpretive key is that Jesus said this to an audience filled with broken and unimportant people. And this is so crucial because the Beatitudes are not just random ethical statements from Jesus. And they're not commands Nowhere does Jesus teach us to go mourn all the time and go get yourself persecuted. And that, I think, is the most subtle misinterpretation of the Beatitudes, having read a lot and looked into it this week. Sometimes we, we turn these statements of blessing into formulas to help us gain favor with God, which is precisely the opposite of what Jesus is saying. The people who are already like this, he's saying, you're in good shape. You're the most fortunate ones. These are not commands. These are descriptions of the types of people who will be the most happy or fortunate in light of the arrival of the kingdom of God. And this list of, of blessings, it reflects the kinds of people to whom Jesus first brought the kingdom. The poor, the mourners, the meek, the hungry for justice people, the ones aching over broken relationships. Now, when I say all that, the context, this is so important, whenever, whenever we study the Bible, lest we think today that these statements are not for us, let me just say this, these statements from Jesus are a radical reversal of the values of this world. And disciples of Jesus, then and now, we are meant to reorient our whole lives to what Jesus is saying here. 
And I think you'll see that as we get into it. These are radical. And I actually think if, if these don't feel subversive, subversive to us, we're not understanding them rightly. We're not getting it. Everything's different in light of these. So let's walk through them. Verse 2, verse 3, Jesus, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, there, there's two words for poor in Greek. There's the word penes, which it, it refers to somebody who has the necessities of life, but they still have needs. And then there's the word tokos. And the tokos means somebody who's poor, but it's someone who's destitute. They have nothing. And that is the word that Jesus uses. These are people who are beggars spiritually, the poor in spirit. They have no spiritual resources. Now, scholars agree about the interpretation of those words, but they disagree about what those words mean. Some think that that this phrase, poor in spirit, it, it refers to an awareness of spiritual poverty before God, that Jesus is saying, blessed are those who know that they are spiritually destitute. Why are they blessed? Because it's only when we're empty that we can receive. And that's true. You know, I've heard it said before, and I thought about this phrase this week, that in order to be saved, all you need is nothing. And most people don't have it. And this is the paradox of the spiritual life. That only when we're empty can we receive. And I think that's true. But I'm not sure that that is totally what Jesus is saying here. There's other scholars and interpreters who believe that what Jesus is doing is he's describing the spiritual condition of the people he's talking to. Brian Zahn gets at this idea when he paraphrases what Jesus says as, Blessed are those who are poor at being spiritual. Blessed are those who are poor at being spiritual. I mean, we recently had Christmas, right? Christmas dinner. Your family's there. Three, three, four generations are present in your home or your sister's home. Supper's ready. It's time to eat, but first you pray. And so the family, they, they gather around. They can fit, you know, your family. They get around the table. And everybody in that moment knows who is going to be asked to say the blessing? Or maybe there's like two or three people, right? But, you know, it's, it's probably going to be David or it's probably going to be Grandpa. It's, it's, it's going to be one of these people. And everybody knows, so nobody says it, the person who nobody is going to ask to say the blessing. Or the two or three people, they're not going to be asked to pray, at Christmas dinner, either because they don't want to pray, they don't like to pray, maybe they'd be so uncomfortable praying that it'd make everybody uncomfortable and everybody would lose their appetite, nobody would want to eat. Or, or, or maybe it's people who are living in such a way that nobody's going to ask that person to pray. They're poor at being spiritual. And that's exactly who these people are in this text, the people surrounding Jesus. Listen, Nobody is asking these people for their input on how to interpret the law. 
These are the sat on, the spat upon, the ratted on. Nobody is asking these people, what do you think about the future of Judaism? Nobody is asking them to read in synagogue or to pray. They're poor at being spiritual. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, they're the spiritual zeros. And both interpretations are true. Listen, however we understand this phrase, here's the idea. The the people surrounding Jesus have no claim whatsoever on the blessing of God. They are spiritually broke in every way. And Jesus looks at them. Listen to how subversive this is. Jesus looks at those people and he says, you're so fortunate. Because the kingdom is for you. You see how radical this is? You you know, we're reading this and thinking, you mean there's nothing that I can do, nothing you can do, nothing the most religious person can do to get a leg up or to get into the kingdom? No, it's the spiritual zeros. They're the ones. Jesus, he continues, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. That word for mourn, it's not a quiet subdued word. This is a loud, intense word. In Luke's Beatitudes, Jesus refers to these people as the weeping ones. This is the woman whose husband deserted her after 15 years of marriage, and she spent most of that time raising the kids. She does not have a good resume, and now she's thrust into financial independence, and she, does, she has no idea where to turn, and she's absolutely devastated. This is the man whose employment suddenly and unfairly ends. Company he served for 20 years. This is the family who goes through the unthinkable, the loss of a child. And their lives are in pieces. And in their overwhelming sorrow, these people, they mourn, they they grieve. Now, mourning is not the same as being in pain. Mourning is a response to pain. Mourning is letting my pain affect me. It's I face it and I feel it. And Jesus says, blessed are the people who deal with pain in that kind of a way. They don't deny it. They don't numb themselves. They don't distract themselves. They don't anesthetize themselves to it. They feel it. Now, how can that possibly be true? Because according to Jesus, it is the people who feel and face their pain, who are primed and ready to experience the comfort of Christ. See, here's the reality for us today. Those of us who know little of mourning will know little of comfort. And there's something about the arrival of the kingdom and of the presence of Jesus where Jesus doesn't come alone. He comes bringing overflowing comfort for those of us who are dealing with reality and its sharp edges. Jesus, he keeps going. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We we don't, I mean, how many of you used the word meek in the last year? You know, we we don't use this word ever. Um, And when we do, it tends to be in a positive way. Someone who's meek is somebody who's humble. But in this culture, this word was not an admirable trait This was something that the Romans despised. Nobody wanted to be meek. The meek are the unimportant. They're the shy, the unassertive, the intimidated. 
You know when you go to a Christmas party, and maybe you went to six of these in December. You know when you go to a Christmas party, there's a big social gathering, lots of people there. And then there's, there's the people in the room that, just, that nobody is going up to and talking to them. And it's not because they're introverts. I'm not saying anything bad about introverts. It's the people that no one is drawn to. Why? Because they have no social capital to give you. They don't have connections. Maybe they're not that interesting. They're unimportant, at least in the eyes of people. And what Jesus says is the kingdom, when it comes to those people, they're going to inherit the earth. And this is the opposite, isn't it? This is the opposite of what we think. We think, no, the meek are going to be doormats. And Jesus says, no, in my kingdom, they're going to run the place. Do you see how subversive this is, this value system? He goes on. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, Jesus is using this word righteousness to, in a similar way to the Old Testament, same way Matthew uses it, which is really about right relationships. That's what this is about. You know, we, we have the phrase, we say, he did right by him. What do we mean when we say that? We mean that he acted rightly in relationship. When's the last time you felt hungry? Maybe it's right now. Maybe some of you are hangry. You didn't get breakfast. You just came to church. Is being hungry, I mean truly hungry, not like you get out of here and you're like, man, I'm ready to eat, but hungry. Is that a good experience? No, it's uncomfortable. It's terrible. And Jesus, again, he's talking to people who know what that's like. This is their daily reality. And Jesus says, blessed are the people who look out at God's world and they see the brokenness in it. And their hearts ache. Their hearts ache over what's happening in God's world. And their hearts, they break over the brokenness in relationships between people. And they long for things to be made right. Jesus says, you are so fortunate. Why? Because what you long for will come to pass. Blessed are you who don't distract yourself from the reality that things are not okay. And you pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, and you know things aren't right. Blessed are you. Because what you long for will come. Now, if the first four Beatitudes are about people being broken... The, the last five are really about people who work on behalf of the broken. I'm going to move quickly through these. And Tim Mackey has helped me. Some of his observations I'm going to cite here. Jesus, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, in our world, what the spirit of the world would be, woe to the merciful, for they shall be taken advantage of. Right? Jesus says, no, blessed are those whose hearts break over the pain of others. And they, they go out of their way in small acts of mercy that are inconvenient at times to demonstrate love to people and live that way. Blessed are those people because their experience of the mercy of God will be great. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. These are the people, there are perfectionists. Maybe they drive you crazy. These are the people who don't care about prestige or being admired. They long to do what's right. And they want to see right be done in the world. And the, the bad stuff is so discouraging. 
But they still, they purpose in their hearts to do what's right. Jesus says, blessed are you because you will see God. I love how Brian Zahn paraphrases this. He says, blessed are those who have a clean window into their soul. For they will perceive God when and where others don't. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. Now, Jesus, he doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Some of us are really good at that. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the people who help others reconcile, that don't like each other. And those of you today who have tried or are trying to do this right now, you know this is one of the hardest things in the world. Because you do this right and nobody likes you. Neither side likes you. Why? Because you're not taking their side. You're on the side of reconciliation. And so you're misunderstood. It's a lonely place to be. Jesus says, bless you when you live that kind of way. Why? Because you're being like God. You resemble your heavenly Father. And then lastly, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he, he elaborates, says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus knows that for some hearing him that day in Galilee, for some of those people, following Jesus would take them into places of intense persecution. They would be hated, hated because of their allegiance to Jesus. And Jesus, he says to them, expect it. The idea that many Christians have today that we should be totally accepted in our culture is a brand new idea. I mean, by and large, since the time of Jesus, the normal Christian experience has been to be disliked or marginalized or maybe worse, to be persecuted because of our allegiance to Christ. And whenever that happens, and maybe that's happening today in the room and to you, by your family, by your company, Jesus says, whenever that happens, rejoice. Why? Because we are sharing in the sufferings of Jesus and great is our reward in heaven. Now how do we respond to these nine statements of blessing? I, I hope in some way we felt the subversiveness, how explosive, the, these are dynamite, what Jesus is saying today. And as Scott McKnight, he rightly calls the Beatitudes a revolution of evaluation for the Christian. And his point is, if we believe what Jesus is saying, then the way we evaluate everything has to change. Because Jesus is turning the world upside down. Actually, he's revealing that the way we see the world is upside down. And he's inviting us to see it right side up. And so if we leave today, if we leave this text and we don't see differently, I think we're not hearing. And you say, well, see what, Matt? I mean, what am I supposed to see differently? Let me, let me give you three things that we've got to see differently by God's grace as a result of the teaching of Jesus in this passage. Number one, what we've got to see differently is people. 
people. Let me ask you a question. Who would be on your list of hopeless blessables? To use a term by Dallas Willard, who are the people you would view as the least fortunate? The least likely to be blessed. Let me tell you, those are the people who are positioned best to experience the blessing of Jesus. You know, Dallas Willard, he fleshes out this idea that it's the least of these among us. Again, that's what was so subversive. And so he says this, and I'll just say, and I've, I've added a few, but he says, blessed are those who smell bad. Blessed are the too big, the too little, the too loud, the too old. Blessed are the flunkouts and the dropouts, the drug heads and the divorced, the brain damaged and the incurably ill. Blessed are the ones with a record, the brutal and the bigoted, the perverted and the tax evaders and the addicts. For the kingdom of God is available to you. And you are riotously celebrated in the party of Jesus. I think whenever we can hear that, and whatever else you would add, whoever else you would add to the list, when we can hear that and rejoice, we're beginning to get the picture. That the people, again, that are weak in the eyes of the world, that we would consider the least fortunate, they are the ones who are positioned best to experience the blessing of Jesus. You know what I found myself thinking this week? I was wrestling with this. I found myself thinking, if Jesus was here today, I mean, if he came to GFC, if he was here, in, I mean, I know he's here, but if he was here physically I'm pretty sure he would be doing things and associating with people that would make me uncomfortable and would make you uncomfortable. That all of us would say, really? And if we're hearing Jesus today, we've got to see people differently. And the second thing we've got to see differently today is the good life if what Jesus is saying is true, then for most people, many of us, our vision of the good life needs major readjustment. The world's version of the good life, and often ours, it's maximize pleasure, minimize pain. And that flies in the face, that vision of what Jesus is saying. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to go out and pursue being persecuted and mourning, etc., but when you find yourself there, this is, the, this is for us today. When you find yourself mourning and broken and longing for righteousness, don't despise that situation. Tom Euler, he used to say, don't despise that which brings you to your knees. How many of you today, you despise the thing in your life that has you on your knees? How many of you today? Your bodies are not working. I mean, you, you have chronic pain. How many of you know what it's like to be seen as unimportant? No one cares what you think. How many of you, you, you look at the brokenness in our world or in the relationships around you, in your heart, it breaks. Jesus says, you're the blessed ones. Because you are in a position to intuitively understand 
the upside down values of the kingdom of God. And because you, you are positioned to experience the grace of God in a way that others aren't. Blessed are you. How does the way we see the good life, how does that need to change? And finally, the third thing we need to see differently is Jesus himself. Many scholars, they note that that the characteristics, many of these characteristics that Jesus describes are manifested in his life. Can you think of a person who grew up poor and marginalized, who mourned, he let life affect him. He was the man of sorrows. He was important, but he did not see himself that way. In fact, he humbled himself to become a servant. And he longed for the world to be set right. And through small acts of mercy, he loved people and he brought peace. And he was persecuted for it. He died on a criminal's cross. You see, the life of Jesus Christ is the best sermon in what we've studied than anything else. And as we see Jesus and follow him, Over time, these attitudes of heart, this value system, it's cultivated inside of us. And we follow Jesus, not so that we'll be blessed, but because we already have been blessed. Because Jesus, in the same way, listen, Jesus, he comes to us in all of our flaws and our brokenness, and he offers us everything. We truly, listen, we truly are the sat on, the spat upon, the ratted on. And Jesus is speaking to us today and offering us life. And so we follow him into this upside down way of thinking for his glory. Will you bow your heads? And as we end today, I, I want to read a prayer from the Valley of Vision. It's a Puritan collection of prayers and this prayer is so powerful and I I just want to let the words of this prayer express our hearts and our desire today. Lord, high and holy, let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from deepest wells, And the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find your light in my darkness, your life in my death, your joy in my sorrow, your grace in my sin, your riches in my poverty, and your glory in my valley. Amen.